I don't think the party will accept her, not only with their votes, but I bet there is a serious move to keep her off the stage. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. All right, I am Scott Jennings. Thanks for listening to the Flyover Country podcast. We value all of our listeners, and uh, we certainly value everybody who reaches out to us. I know uh, for the guys, we're hearing from a lot of folks out there who are joining Flyover Country week after week and uh, saying they put it in their rotation. So appreciate everybody who's uh, joining us and uh, following along with our take on the news and politics of the day. This week on the agenda, Liz Cheney loses her primary in Wyoming. Uh, The FBI raid in Mar-a-Lago and the ensuing political fallout. We talked a bit about it last week, but since then, Merrick Garland had a press conference and we've had a lot more uh, politics in the water. We're going to catch up on that story. We're going to talk about the CDC. The the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, uh, is saying that the agency needs to reorganize itself in order to regain public trust. Oh, yeah. The Colorado Senate. (laughs) No kidding. The Colorado Senate race is on our minds. We're going to talk about uh, the Republican candidate O'Day and hear from uh, some of his new advertising he's got on the air. And we'll do a little bit of scene read and heard. I'm Scott Jennings, your host in for Joe Arnold, who is this week not with us because he is taking his oldest son off to college. So we wish Joe Arnold the best as he uh, uh, takes one of his children off to uh, uh, college. And, and it's really a big, big moment for a parent to move a child out. So we wish Joe the best this week we decided to give him the week off joining us as always beyond that kevin grout sean souther jared crawford gentlemen thanks for being with us this week and uh uh and making some time for flower country hey scott yeah so we're all in studio scott's in zoom you've scott how many days in a row have you done cnn now well i'm on quite a hot streak uh, <laughs> a great a great I've been on a great many days. That's right. Uh, the, the guys are in studio. I'm in New York City, where I've been uh, participating in quite a lot of CNN coverage, including last night, uh, where we were on air analyzing the Wyoming primary, a little bit of Alaska, but mostly Wyoming. And we'll start there this week on our uh, political roundup, where uh, United States Representative Liz Cheney, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, was on the ballot against Harriet Hageman in the Republican primary, and she lost uh, rather handily. And a couple of years ago, she, uh, as she said in her concession speech, she won the primary with 73% of the vote. Last night, I think Hageman got about about 70% of the vote. So Liz Cheney has been tossed out by the Republicans of Wyoming because she became the principal opposition to Donald Trump inside the Republican Party and has made it her life's mission to uh, keep Donald Trump from returning to the White House. So the voters of Wyoming rendered their verdict, but Liz Cheney gave a speech in which she indicated she is likely going to keep going. And I assume she meant she is going to be running for president. So we'll start there, guys, and kick it around. Kevin Grout, is there any path for Liz Cheney to mount a successful candidacy for the office of the president in 2024? Uh 
depends on your definition of successful there, I think, Scott. Uh, this might be one of those moral victory um, opportunities. Uh, will could, could she be elected president? I think that that is an uphill battle. I think the sentiment of the people of Wyoming or the Republicans in Wyoming is probably pretty similar to sentiment of uh, Republican base voters across base base voters across the country. However, um, if she has a different goal, and that goal is to keep Donald Trump from being elected president, um, you know, she she could potentially split a primary or split a general election in a way that uh, would would make his path to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue a lot harder. I mean, well, you you raise a you raise an interesting question, and Sean, I'll, I'll let you jump in on this. And and most people are assuming she's going to seek the Republican nomination for president, but there's less of a chance that she would find any room to run there than she did in her primary in Wyoming. And so others have speculated potentially she could mount an independent candidacy. I'm not sure really there's a, uh, I'm not sure there's a constituency for either. I mean, remember Cheney is actually quite conservative. When Trump was president, she voted with him over 90% of the time. And all the Republicans, in my opinion, who are cheering on Liz Cheney and have been cheering her on this year over January 6th would drop her like a hot rock if she were running for president, because they don't agree with her on any other issue. I mean, am I missing something here, Sean? No, I, I think you're right. My question is, is what lane does she take up that, you know, a potential Mike Pence, uh, vice presidential, uh, you know, uh, former vice president running in this lane, uh, having stood stood against January 6th? Uh, you know, he's just as conservative, if not more conservative than she is. Uh, and so uh, I'm not really sure what sort of lane that she's looking to run in, except for one that puts her in front of a lot of news cameras uh, over the course of the next couple of years. I was on television this morning, uh, Jared, uh, on New Day with uh, CNN political analyst Nia Malika Henderson. And the question was really, what's the constituency for this? What's the lane for this? And, and Nia said something like, well, I guess it's I guess it's the the news, the Washington Beltway political media, <laughs> sort of what she said. <laughs> and I and I and I think and I think that's right. I mean, uh, and then I was on Tara Palmieri with with Puck News was also on, and and you know she raised the question, you know, are there enough Republican voters uh, to sustain an effort like this? And I said no, but there are enough media interviews to sustain something <laughs> like this. This, this. this 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 I mean, but but, but Jared, this is one of those issues where. Um, you know, I, I do think the political press and its, you know, infatuation with Cheney and this whole storyline is really out of step with the political reality uh, that, you know, I think most most of us can can discern here, which is there just isn't that much interest for this among Republican voters. I don't doubt that there are some Republican voters who agree with Liz Cheney and and, and you know, certainly her opinion is valid and she's earned every right to speak. But just in raw technical terms, uh, I think the media is more interested in this than, than the rank-and-file Republicans who would decide a primary are, right? Yeah. Scott, you've made this point a couple of, uh, of times, either on CNN or maybe on, on the podcast, that Liz Cheney really made it like her life's mission to be the anti-Trump representative. And so Democrats, in turn, have kind of forgotten about her voting record, forgotten about like what she stands for. The The problem is, is I think it's kind of become all-consuming and so she doesn't really have a lane outside of that. I think of um, Representative Meyer, who I believe took over Justin Amash's seat, mm-hmm. who has that little bit of that more like libertarian vein in him. At least he had like something else where he was also kind of like voting against the party and stood on like a different foot at, at times. He had something else to him. Liz Cheney has really committed to us. The, the, the odd thing about 
last night was she almost didn't seem sad to lose because it was like, aha, here's this next chapter for mm-hmm. me, uh, which I thought was really interesting. People are like forgetting that like this woman just lost an election. We were like so looking yeah, forward to the next the, one. whatever her yeah. speech or like whatever her next movement was because she's become like the stalwart of the like really I'm just trying to keep Trump out of the White House and, and nothing else matters, which if if that's what she wants to go for, you know, go for it. But I don't know that there's voters who are looking for somebody who's that's their only lane. If you have that and then you have something else or you offer maybe a more moderate perspective that Democrat voters may uh, prefer over Joe Biden in 2024, I could see somebody finding that lane. But again, her whole thing is just I, I I want to keep Trump out of the White House by any means necessary. And I don't know that there's a lot of voters only looking for that. Yeah, I think there's been a fascination or, or a fantasy uh, by the political press that Donald Trump will someday be toppled by a never Trump style Republican, that, that right. he will eventually be taken out by somebody who sort of sees the world the way they see it, which is that. You know, his, he was never a legitimate president to begin with, and he ought to be tossed in jail or at a minimum, uh, you know, bounced out of American politics. And I, I just I just don't think that's I just don't think that's a reasonable way to look at it. I, You know, look, I, I again, I, I think there are people out there who agree with Liz Cheney, but it strikes me that if someone is going to mount a meaningful challenge to Donald Trump in a Republican primary, it's going to be someone who actually supports the direction generally the direction that Donald Trump has moved the party. And Liz Cheney cannot lay any claim to that. Sean, to your point, Mike Pence certainly can. I mean, he obviously helped Donald Trump get elected. He supported the Trump agenda. Ron DeSantis has been a supporter of kind of the, the direction of the party uh, under Trump. I, I just, I, I think it's most likely to come from that kind of an angle uh, than the angle that, that Cheney represents. Kevin? It, and interesting we keep bringing up the former vice president, Mike Pence. He, I think, said today that um, somebody asked him if he was going to testify in front of the January 6th committee, and he said that he, if they if they asked, he would be open to it. So that, that was a very, I think it raised a lot of eyebrows uh, that there is more of a story to tell, and he seems to have figured out on what story he's ready to, to tell about that day, uh, and it'll help make that contrast between him and Trump that he can still support the Trump agenda even if he has issues with the man. Two more things on on Cheney, if I may. One one thing that I would hate to see for her as she goes down this, you know, megalomaniac tour of, you know, whether or not she should mount this campaign, this national campaign for president is I would hate to see her do what a lot of these other, you know, never Trump, anti-Trump right. Republicans have done, which is all of a sudden forget that they're conservative at all and, you know, I'll go and start attacking conservatives and Republicans for holding views and values and policy positions that we've, we've held for years. So uh, I think that would be really terrible to see if she, she goes down that role. Two is this idea that, you know, it is a Cheney. You know, it is, it is someone from the last name of a bygone era of Republican politics uh, is the one that's leading this charge. I, I just think it's it's uh, that adds a different uh, layer to this. That that is one that I think really just turns people off. Mm-hmm. Um, in you know on Twitter last night or it was last night uh, that people were you know hailing that she lost and and they were talking about how she was a the Cheney's were warmongers and things of that nature. And uh, I, I just think it you know the fact that it is a Cheney. Uh, going after him in this way, I just think it sets up a dynamic that is is not good for people like her and her cause. So um, I think that adds a different dynamic as well, Scott. 
All right, before we move on from this topic, let's go around the horn. We'll start with Jared You Will Liz Cheney run for president, and will it be as a registered Republican? I will say yes to both of those, but I don't know that she thinks she can win. Um, it wouldn't shock me if she, and, and I don't mean this in a, uh, to, to question her motives, but, you know, we've seen this, like, run for office and then start a nonprofit and do some grassroots work, knock some doors, uh, you know, do something like that, create some sort of, uh, uh, you know, C3 that's committed to, you know, getting out all the election or something like that. So I think she's going to run. I think she'll run as a Republican. Uh, but I think I think she probably knows she can't win. Kevin Grout. I think, yes, she'll run. However, I don't think the party will accept her not only with their votes, but I bet there is a serious move to keep her off the stage. Sean Southern. I think she runs. And I was going to make that same exact point that Kevin made. You know, people forget that the RNC is – uh, taking a new interest in controlling these presidential debates and that sort of thing. And so um, I doubt that she ever appears on a stage uh, against Donald J. Trump, which is, which is what she wants to do. And so, I, I mean, I, I guess she'll probably try to run as a Republican, but then when that doesn't work, she'll change to be an independent and then start attacking Republicans for all the lifelong views that she's held herself. Thanks for agreeing could, with me. Could you imagine right. the insults that Trump would throw at her <laughs> at the like at the end of the stage? I mean, my goodness, there would be... I, I just I can imagine him already cooking some stuff up. <laughs> as a as a tangent for this conversation, I, I did want to bring up uh, an interesting uh, back and forth I had last night in the nine o'clock show. Uh, for the first time, actually, I'd met and was on the air with Chris Wallace last night, a, a broadcasting with Ooh. Allison Camerata and and Dana Bash, and we were having a conversation about the concept of accepting the results of elections, and I. Had a little back and forth with Allison and uh, and Chris and Dana, just just about the the fact that it's it's not it's just it's not just Republicans who are concerned about the election results in 2020. That Democrats, in fact, are quite concerned about the election results from 2016, 2004, and 2000. Uh, Jared, do we have the audio from that? I'd like to I'd like to play that a little bit, and maybe we can kick it around. Yeah, so we've got the the four minute clip here, Scott. Let me know if you want to stop at some points and and talk through some of this. So here we go. Absolutely. Listen, there's an even stronger indication than that. The Washington Post had a fascinating story today where they looked at all of the battleground states and all of the primary races. Fifty four of eighty seven. Fifty four of the eighty seven GOP nominees in battleground states. In, in offices, either state, local, or federal, that would have some say in the next election are, to some degree or another, election deniers. So, so I mean, that's very much who's going to be on the ballot for Republicans in November in, for governor, for secretary of state, for a lot of these key races that will affect the 2024 election. They are election deniers. You know, they are Trump supporters. Scott, as a Republican, what do you think that means for your party and your country? Uh, well, I mean, you know, like I, I, I tend to believe Donald Trump today is the most likely Republican to win the nomination in 24, but the least likely Republican to recapture the White House. And I think prior to this FBI issue, I think some Republicans were starting to prepare themselves to turn the page on it. There's been a maybe a temporary snapback to him, a reflexive defensiveness. But I think if the Republican Party wants to win back the White House and, and beat Joe Biden or whoever runs, um, 
it, it, it probably should look elsewhere. Donald Trump's never won the popular vote, and, uh, and I don't think his prospects have gotten any better uh, since the last time he tried. Do you think the election deni denialism only applies to him, or is that now fundamental? All right, Jared, let's, pa let's pause it right here. So, so, so I was trying to make a sort of a technical point about you know what, what's best for the party to win the White House, and then here's where the conversation gets a little you know going down this path of of just the the strain of you know accepting the outcome of election results, and 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 what's interesting about it is there's just I think the way this is often framed is that Republicans are the only ones who question the outcome of election. I mean, that's the framing that all these conversations are put on. And I had a different spin on it last night. Two thirds that Chris is talking about won't believe outcomes if it doesn't go their way now. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of Republicans who don't believe in the outcomes. Respectfully, there are a bunch of Democrats who don't think Donald Trump won the 2016 election fair and square either. And there were a lot of Democrats who didn't think George W. Bush won fairly in 2000 or 2004. But that's because we they go, didn't we go win through, the popular votes, we, not because they think that there was massive fraud. You, you don't think Democrats still today cling to the idea that somehow Donald Trump had helped winning the 2016 election? I, mean, I think it's different. I think it's different than what the election I, see, I don't. I mean, as, 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 a, as a Republican, I don't. compare that to what we saw in 2020. You can't compare that to 2020. I'm not comparing it, but I think we have been on a 20-year escalator of people increasingly denying outcomes of elections. It got as hot as it's ever been in 20. And I think in 2024, there'll be Republicans who wouldn't accept it if Joe Biden wins again, and there'll be Democrats who wouldn't accept it if Donald Trump or any other Republican. I remember when Joe Biden was in the, the January 6th hearing in Congress where they were counting the electoral vote and some Democrats were objecting to Donald Trump and he shut them down. I mean, it just, it, it's really, I, I understand what you're saying, but it's apples and oranges compared to what it went on in 20, I mean, we're talking about a concerted effort to overturn the election I'm not, in I'm 2020. Not, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I don't think you can deny the 20 year escalator that we have been on where partisans have increasingly been willing to disregard the outcome of the election in favor of their own partisan instincts. And it got as bad as it's ever been in 20. My fear is it's going to happen again no matter who wins. The only, the only, one of the differences, not the only, one of the differences is what the candidate says. There are always going to be supporters. You've been on campaigns, I'm sure, where they just don't accept the results. It's different when the candidate, especially when it is the president, says, no, I'm not going to accept it and has a concerted effort. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And yeah, what, what is Hillary Clinton said, even as early as as late as this year about the 2016 election, that it was stolen from me? So, I, look, I'm just I, I'm, I'm not trying to compare it because it got as bad as it's ever gotten. And January 6th was a travesty. I'm not convinced we're not still on that escalator and we don't know oh, it feels like we are on a runaway right escalator about certainly in terms of the slate of election deniers friends right, Jared. So, so that was that was, um, that was kind of the, the fourth that we had last night and i you know i, I had this conversation with uh with democrats very often and and it's just convenient how often it's forgotten that in 2000 and 2004 there were wild conspiracy theories about george w bush and there were and there are still Democrats who believe he was not legitimate. Twenty sixteen. I think if you polled it today, a majority of Democrats Donald Trump was not legitimately elected. And therefore all of the decisions he made and the appointments he made were not legitimate. Certainly there are Republicans that think that about Joe Biden, but that it's it, it's just it's like it's forgotten. It's forgotten that Democrats started running this game. And when when is the last time Democrats accepted the legitimacy? 
of a Republican presidential candidate. Was it a win? Was it 1988? I mean, even then, even then there were claims that George H.W. Bush, uh, you know, was a dirty trickster. And that's the only way he got into the White House. So it's, it's been a long time since Democrats have accepted Republican legitimacy, but that, that's always conveniently forgotten. But the, the worst example of this is Hillary Clinton, who continues continues to say Trump wasn't legitimate. The election was stolen. I believe that she believes, as we sit here today, that Russia stole the election from her. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious, is it not, Kevin? Oh, yeah, I, I, I totally think so. And it's not just in the context of a certification of an election. I think a lot of the examples you're citing are there. I mean, obviously, there's Stacey Abrams down in Georgia who – you know, probably is saying, thinking she's running for re-election. That's right Governor now. Abrams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then you also have this <laughs> in, insane argument from AOC saying that voting isn't enough anymore. I mean, what does that mean? That we have to go beyond the context of what our t- republic has been doing for hundreds of years. Not even that. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has basically said that, well, we don't know if the 2024 <laughs> election would be legitimate. You know, like they, they're already even questioning future elections. I mean, it's the the line in there that is i mean like almost made me fall out of my chair was the idea that democrats question like the bush election because they didn't win the popular vote i mean we'll talk about revisionist history <laughs> that's not like, what they said listen listen in 2004 there were crazy conspiracy yes. theories that carl rove that carl rove had like personally reprogrammed the voting <laughs> machines in ohio yeah. i mean it was it was insane and Benny Thompson, the head of the January 6th commission today, was one of the leading members of Congress who on the floor of the United States House of Representatives raised this crazy conspiracy theory and voted to stop uh, uh, counting the electoral college votes. I mean, that, that, that's why so many Republicans have, have not taken this January 6th commission seriously, because the guy running it was somebody who literally tried to do the very same thing. <laughs> To George uh, W. Bush back in 04 on a conspiracy theory that was so nutty uh, that it should have never even seen the light of day. So I, anyway, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about that today because I just I, I think we're going to continue having this conversation, you know, over the next couple of years, and it's just a, it's important reminder uh, of, of what Democrats have done. Let's uh, let's move topics, guys, and, and keep the show moving. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about it last week, but obviously the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago, uh, looking for supposedly. Uh, uh, important national security documents continues to dominate American politics and some polling and uh, what we're all hearing anecdotally. There appears to be a bit of a snapback, uh, some defensiveness of Donald Trump. Uh, since we last recorded the podcast, Merrick Garland held a press conference. Uh, and now there are bipartisan calls and calls from the media for more transparency into the kinds of material that was recovered. The Department of Justice is resisting that my couple of questions for the panel this week guys is number one do you all think the department of justice is ultimately going to have to show a little more leg here and if so how will they do that and number two are you all detecting what i'm detecting which is uh, a little bit of a boost for donald trump sean southern we'll start with you yeah i mean i think i said this last week is that i've never seen republicans as united around this uh, around an issue like this uh, until uh, 2016 with Hillary Clinton's emails and the FBI investigation uh, and Jim Comey's big press conference there uh, <laughs> in the heat of the heat of the election season. So I think it has motivated a lot of Republicans. And in, even here in the last few days with some of the polling that's coming about, about, you know, excitement about voting this November, it's ticked up a little bit. 
uh, for Republicans. And so I think it has galvanized Republicans a a little bit. I've also uh, been interested in seeing some of these people that I respect in the press, columnists and others, who, uh, you know, some of some of whom have probably, uh, you know, want to move on from Trump. But even they have come and said that we deserve answers about Mm -hmm. Uh, what the FBI is doing here, and uh, is notably is George Will, uh, who who had an interesting column last week, a, a libertarian, uh, not lover of Trump at all, uh, very critical of him, saying that uh, the FBI is really uh, screwed up here and uh, has galvanized uh, and given Donald Trump a, a win here as he, he considers a political comeback. So I think it is on the F- incumbent on the FBI to continue sharing information as they're able to, uh, but it seems as recently as uh, last night and this morning that the potential release of this affidavit uh, is is unlikely, uh, even though a lot of media organizations have requested it. Yeah, Kevin so- Grout, let me let me ask you this, Kevin. Do you think that the possible middle ground here on transparency, because I, I, I think they're going to have to do some more. Do you think the middle ground here could lie with some kind of disclosure to the Senate Intelligence Committee about what was found, because I, you know, I, I could possibly understand the argument about not releasing information uh, to the general public, but I see no reason why DOJ couldn't show uh, the bipartisan leadership of Senate Intelligence. What do you think, as a former Senate staffer? I, I don't think that's going to be enough for people. I mean, we're we're in an age right now where people want to see things with their own eyes, and giving it to the Senate Intelligence Committee, which you know, to be fair. Of, of Senate committees works in a very strong bipartisan manner. It's not, you know, filled with the rancor that we often see. But at the same time, I mean, it's a, a Democrat-controlled body. Um, handing it over there will keep it behind closed doors. Um, and we won't really I, – I, I think that's an attempt at transparency, but it's not transparency in, in reality. Um, and, and then, you know, kind of where Sean was going with um, – columnists out there talking about this uh bill mcgurn in the wall street journal had a, had a good column that do, do we really believe that merrick garland made this decision by himself he didn't pick up the phone call ron Klain or the white house uh, because he he was making the argument that would almost be worse uh that if a a, a oh I'm, a, I'm 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 glad you oh I, i'm so glad you raised this uh issue kevin and, and i read bill's piece as well this idea this fantasy and jared you can you can comment on this this fantasy that somehow the Department of Justice and the FBI are a fourth branch of government. Right. <laughs> that they don't re- that they don't report to the chief executive of the United States, to the president of the United States. It's crazy. It's insane. But this idea that you would have this independent fourth branch, I, I, I don't under I just I do not understand this fantasy world that Democrats uh, have constructed around DOJ and, and the FBI, especially, especially when you consider, A, it's not in our Constitution that way. B, the president appoints both of the, DO, uh, the, the attorney general and the director of the FBI. And C, whenever he pleases, and on numerous occasions, Joe Biden has openly commented on who the Department of Justice ought to be prosecuting and for what. This is a total fantasy. Jared? Yeah, first, it's nice to see Democrats backing law enforcement. That's uh, <laughs> that, It took a couple of years off there, so that's nice <laughs> yeah. to see again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, when before or uh, after last week's episode, obviously Merrick Garland had his uh, press conference, and it felt like if you were on Twitter during that, it was like, oh, okay, here it comes. Here comes, like, out of the, the bombshell or, like, everything we've been waiting to hear. He's going to answer all the questions. And 
it's sort of like this middle ground of like, here's a little bit about what's going on, but not much. And I'm not going to answer any questions. I'm going to run away from this podium as quickly as I can. Yeah, I, I almost think sometimes with law enforcement, and uh, maybe this is sort of my bias towards law enforcement, but I almost have a preference towards this is an ongoing investigation. We can't release anything right now, right? Like I'd almost take that over the like wishy-washy of like, this is kind of what we did. Maybe this is what we were looking for. And then two hours after your press conference, there's leaks in the media. Again, it's like oh, all, the, all those yeah. things you start to lose trust. I'd rather them, this is an ongoing investigation. We can't tell you everything. Or you put it all out there. It, it, like to me, it's either like one or the other. And they've been so wishy-washy. It's like, again, it's just every day that goes on, every like new leak, you're just like losing trust in this process not necessarily the institution but the the process of how this has been handled and so this has been a real disaster uh thank god for mitch mcconnell keeping this guy off the spring court (laughs) Uh, my uh uh my view is more transparency is required and i've said this uh i said it on tv on sunday morning it made a little bit of national news i think if they don't indict donald trump merrick garland ought to resign because what he has done here is a political action whether he likes it or not He's told the country that Donald Trump, in his opinion, probably violated three different laws. It's 90 days before an election. He was the president. He's going to be a presidential candidate. This is inherently a political action. And if there is to be any credibility for the Department of Justice, more transparency, and there's no going back now. Exit question on this topic. Sean Southern, will Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice indict Donald Trump over documents, yes or no? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Jared, I, if they do, Jared if they do it over just some little like petty like documents, I mean, sort of presidential record act stuff. I think that they're going to have more of a problem in, on their hands than they do right now. Jared Crawford, I'll say yes, only because I sort of trust the individuals at the FBI that this was not frivolous, that this was not, you know, that that, that they jump. I, I trust that they they are doing this for a real reason. And that, you know, they, they search Mar-a-Lago for a real reason. Uh, and, you know, to your point, Scott, that I hope in two months we aren't just like, oh, okay, that happened. Like, that would be really disappointing. Kevin Grout. And I'm going to answer this one the same way I did the last one. Yes, they will indict him, but then they will have some weird, measly settlement where both sides can declare victory. Trump can say he was vindicated. Nobody really learns anything about anything. And... Uh, you know what's most important is the the institution of the Department of Justice continues to uh, lack any respect. All right, moving on. Let's talk about another government agency. This is kind of breaking news right before we uh, recorded this here on Wednesday afternoon. It is about the Centers for Disease Control, a frequent uh, uh, punching bag for us here on Flyover Country. And the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, who has been one of the most interesting disastrous disasters in joe biden's administration she has been a rolling communications disaster since she got this job but rochelle walensky head of the cdc has said today that she is going to reorganize reorganize the cdc because it's going to have to now um regain all the trust that it that it lost during the pandemic she had criticisms for the communications effort out of the cdc uh, and so on and so forth. I hope you guys have had a chance to look at what is in the New York Times this afternoon. My my initial thought on this is how in the world can someone who has been such a disaster at communicating with the public possibly 
say, oh, I'm going to reorganize and fix it. If they want to fix the CDC, step one is firing Rochelle <laughs> Walensky and getting a, getting a competent human being. What's your thought on this, uh, Sean Sutter? I mean, I agree, I agree 110%. I mean, she's been the face of this this disaster. She, I mean, how much money did they have to spend on media training for her? Wasn't that something <laughs> that they, they they spent some of our taxpayer dollars on sending her to, to media school, and now she's now she feels well equipped to uh, to run this organization and and rebrand it and going forward. I th- I think that she needs to go. They need to get somebody else in there. And this, you know, the the uh, I, I didn't even bring this up, and I and Kevin, I want you to to, to tackle this as well, and Jared. Uh, while she is out today making this announcement about the CDC needing to be reorganized to regain public trust, at the same time, there is an unfolding new public health disaster with the Biden administration. It is a complete and total fumbling of the government's response to monkeypox. Right. They let vaccines expire. There has been a communications debacle. They will. They are unwilling to say what needs to be said to the communities that need to hear it. And there's some reporting out today about just what a disaster HHS Secretary uh, Xavier Becerra has been. So not only not only is there now an admitted failure of communications and dealing with the public from the CDC, we have the media now finally, finally reporting on a failure on monkeypox. The Biden administration has not gotten one thing right on any of this, and it was one of the central arguments of Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Right, Kevin? Yeah, this is... And we've talked about this on the show before. This is when the Biden administration says it has a messaging problem, but the problem is much bigger than that. They have a policy problem. They have an operational problem. They have a problem, and it, it's a personnel issue too. You know, going all the way to the top, simply you know saying we're gonna you know change the letterhead and you know put out nicer tweets is not gonna fix this problem. You know, all the things you just identified, Scott. The problem goes to the very root. I think a complete overhaul will be good, will fi- could, could fix this important federal agency, but it's more than just a communications problem. And until they realize that and maybe, you know, lop off the head of the snake, um, I, I don't I don't know what, you know, you can't you can't put lipstick on a pig. Yeah, it's just I, uh, I you know, it, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. It's like, you know, it, she's the one who's botched the response, but she's now going to lead the the reform effort i mean (laughs) trust me well i mean look at i mean look at look at look at what's happening this week by the way one of the paragraphs in this new york times story is the public guidance on coronavirus has been quote confusing and overwhelming according to a briefing document provided by the agency well rochelle walensky has been at the center of the confusing and overwhelming communication i mean you go back and look at her media appearances i mean she has just been an absolute disaster and I, I, I there's no possible way she could lead this look at what's happening this week the CDC in the last few days finally finally put out guidance saying we don't need to be testing asymptomatic people there's been a relaxation of all the you know sort of testing and and regime that's been been going on now but but the rest of the country for the most part has already moved on and kind of just settled into the new normal where we live with it we deal with it it's not the end of the world you get it and then you deal with it and you come back from it. I mean, it, in, in, in the CDC, it seems like it's always, always the last to find out literally what the other 300 million of us <laughs> yeah. are doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, Scott. I can't wait for like in six months when they are like, hey, the school shutdowns led to learning loss. Like, what? You know, they're, they're always like six, eight months a year behind the rest of us. I, uh, I probably said this before on the podcast. I am 
like maybe outside the the bell curve when it comes to like trust in the these three letter organizations i've long hated the cdc and fda and uh those sort of you know government alphabet soup groups uh and but to some degree we want to trust them because they're doing the right thing uh and this has potentially tarnished their reputation forever and so the important things that they could be doing uh like you know getting a vaccine to market or testing certain experimental drugs like life-saving drugs uh you know uh no matter what it may be that this actually may be more serious um yeah i mean you're going to sort of question their reputation and uh again i think they're sort of rotten to the core right now as, as kevin said well the, the, you want to trust them but it's become painfully obvious yeah. to most americans that the the advice that the cdc gets that the guidance they gave during coronavirus was the considerations for it was always political first and public health second i mean remember remember regarding the schools jared which you brought up mm -hmm. they were consulting with the teachers unions yeah not the parents not with people who were screaming that this was going to lead to bad outcomes for children. No, no, no. They were consulting with the union bosses. So when you become less about public health and more about the politics of the administration uh, that's in office, yeah, you deserve to lose the public trust. All right, last topic. Let's talk a little politics this week, guys. A Senate race to discuss this week. Kevin, would you like to discuss the Colorado Senate race? I consider it to be a sleeper race at the beginning of the cycle. I don't think anybody had Colorado in their top tier, but it's, uh, it's getting there for me. Can you tell us about what's going on in Colorado and where do the ratings stand? Do Republicans have a chance to win the Senate race against an incumbent Democrat in Colorado? Yeah, I think you're, you're right, Scott. Not a lot of people saw, saw this as uh, one to watch. Uh, there was another hot primary there, and I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the other side got got involved in a Republican primary again. So another they sure did uh, another sure uh, did. tisk yeah. tisk there. Uh, so John O'Day is the uh, Republican who made it out of that primary, and you know what? He he's looking pretty good. Uh, I know we're gonna listen to an ad from him here in a second. Um, or go ahead and play it now, Jared. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's get America moving forward. I'm not a politician. I'll work for Colorado. Joe washed dishes here at Piccolo's and worked his way through school. Joe wasn't always the boss. He started as a union carpenter and worked his way up. Everyone in Washington votes the party line. Joe won't. He doesn't care about partisanship. He'll represent Colorado. I'm Joe O'Day. I approve this message. I'm not focused on political parties. I'll do what's right for our country. And hey, that that's a great message. That's and just just today, um, uh, CQ uh, roll call CQ move this race from solid Democrat to likely Democrat. That is a step in Republicans' favor. And uh, like I said, people people are starting to wake up and call O'Day a credible challenger. I mean, there's still a, an uphill battle here. Republicans have gotten their hopes up um, on Colorado before and been disappointed. And there's a lot of money pouring into the incumbent Senator uh, Michael Bennett's campaign. But um, this, this, I think, is, is becoming a race to watch. O'Day was the Republican that national uh, Republicans wanted. You're exactly right, Kevin. The Democratic committees uh, and outside forces tried to intervene and help uh, a less electable Republican. That effort failed. So we've got O'Day as the Republican in Colorado. I think this race is going to continue to tighten. I think it's going to be uh, in the top tier by the time we get to October. All right, let's wrap up flower country this week with a scene red herd. Sean Southern. 
Yeah, What's on I, your docket this week, my man? I think uh, I just think it's important to recall there was a lot of writing this week about how it is the one-year anniversary of the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal and debacle under Joe Biden's leadership. And I think uh, that still is a pivotal moment that remains in lots of Americans' minds. And uh, I think that I think that we should all uh, we should not forget it and forget that we left Americans behind there and also uh, people who had helped us uh, during uh, the war on terror. And so I just just a little bit more somber moment for me uh, this week. But uh, there was a lot of good reporting on that and where Afghanistan stands today. Uh, and that's not not in very good shape compared to how we left it. That's a great call out, Sean. And I'll just uh, say, and, and Jared, maybe we can post it in the show notes. There is a there was a, a Republican congressional report this week about the Afghanistan debacle, and and one of the things to flow out of it is that it appears we left we the Americans left about seven billion dollars in military equipment stuff behind for the Taliban in Afghanistan. Absolute travesty. Absolute debacle. We had loss of life. We had loss of American military equipment and secrets. I mean, I, you know, the Biden administration is worried about secrets right now. What do you think? What do you think was left behind in Afghanistan that the Taliban and, and who knows what other bad actors shouldn't be looking through? Uh, just just an absolute debacle all around. Good call out, Sean. Jared Crawford, scene red herd. Yeah, I have sort of an interesting scene only because I have been like thinking about this for the last week or so. So I had I have an interesting situation. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. I figured I'd save it for the podcast. I have gotten gas three times maybe in the last couple of weeks. I got it in uh, in my car, and then I had to fill up my wife's car too. Three times in the last couple of weeks I have pulled in to a full gas station and pulled in behind somebody, uh, and that person is not in their car. They are inside the store shopping for snacks or drinks and then come back out and then start to pump their gas. Oh, I wanted to throw it to you guys. Mm. And, and am I allowed to say something to that person? Now, I'm not typically a controversial person. <laughs> I don't like to fight. Well, but, you're from the Northeast. Uh, I'm sure you say lots of unkind things to people Sir, all the time. It, like while I'm driving, yes. But as soon as it's in person, it could get physical. Absolutely not. But I have like the – it happened again this morning when I got gas. I pulled in behind this this truck. There's a woman sitting in the truck. I assume she was either waiting for somebody or something. That person – she – that person then came back out with a bag full of snacks or whatever and then started to pump the gas. And I was, like, steaming mad. Now, I didn't say anything. I actually backed up and went to a different pump that opened up. But this has happened to me, like, three times in the last month. Am I allowed – I mean, what – do we need to create a new law against this? Like, what is the what is the situation? What do I have to do here? This is my scene because it has happened so many times to me. I need some advice on what to do. I've, I've never heard of this before. I mean, I assumed you were going to say that the car was empty and these people really just didn't want to leave the gas pump unattended. But there was someone else sitting in the truck. Yes. With no action being taken. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's wrong. Bad. Okay, I think we need to pass a law. I we think can... – I I think maybe you write a a a passive aggressive post it and oh, put yeah. it like I'm, I'm by the way I'm channeling what I think Joe Arnold would do uh, <laughs> he's not here to defend him so I think I would like write a passive aggressive post it and place it upon their windshield for them to see upon their return you know what I sometimes do and my wife chastises me about this is I will pull into the gas pump and I will immediately start pumping the gas and then I will while it's pumping. It takes a while to fill up my truck. So I will then walk into the convenience store and get whatever I want. And then by the time I come back, it's yeah. either done or almost done. And so I sort of try to 
use my time as a, but she gets on me about that because she's convinced that the minute I walk away from the truck, you know, some uh, lunatic's going to come peeling into the parking lot and like rip the, the, the nozzle out of my truck and like stick it into their car and like <laughs> their car on our, I've never, this never happened to me, but she's convinced that this is a, a coming crime wave and I'm going to be the cause of it. So anyway, I, so I, think, I, that, I think you've got every right to be ever, ever right to be mad. And, and the, the scenario you just described perfectly acceptable, especially if you got like a truck or something yeah. that takes a minute or two to fill up, yeah. click that thing, put the little, uh, you know, the hold on, go inside, do your thing. Even if it finishes, you know, you're coming back out, you've done your, your due diligence, but I'm a fill up and then pull into a parking spot right. and go in, especially if you got to use the restroom and do the, man, I'm just, it has been, it has been really chapping uh, me. Manners, <laughs> uh, manners are their own reward. I think it's the lesson <laughs> wow. here. Uh, Kevin Grouse, seen red heard for you. Uh, yeah. My family and I snuck away up to Michigan uh, this past weekend for a little long weekend with my, my uh, extended family. So I got to see my three-year-old son play with his little cousin and they were seesawing and they were swinging. They were having a great time. Um, and that, that was, that was real special. Uh, good to be back, but it was uh, a lot of fun up there. And Scott, just to go back to your point from the very beginning of the show about hearing, uh, listeners and how much they appreciate the show. I just this afternoon, but steps from the studio helped an avid listener become a subscriber to the podcast. And this is just a reminder to everyone, please subscribe to the podcast. So you get a notification every time we post a new episode. Uh, and that one now subscriber, you know who you are and thank you. All right. Great, great. Yes, please. Uh, sign and, and not only that, but give us five stars. You got to go on there and you got to rate it. You got to post about it and uh, help us help us grow the community. I'll wrap us up with my scene. I got a tip that on Amazon Prime, the television show Terminal with Chris Pratt is excellent. I'm now three episodes in and I'm hooked. So I'm loving the Terminal. Have you guys seen it? It's a really good show. No, but I heard it's like kind of anti-woke or something like that, Scott. Is that true? Oh, it, oh it's well, I, yes, I, I would presently put it in the category of anti-woke i mean the first two episodes are really confusing like, you don't know what's going on by the third episode you can kind of see what's going on but i'm i'm thoroughly enjoying it uh, all I, the way around i so. seem to recall someone else mentioning this as their scene red herd uh i don't know a week and a half two weeks ago <laughs> did you did you <laughs> <clears throat> yes all me. right well maybe, maybe well I, you're, you're you and someone else mentioned it well, anyway i'm watching it so Thanks for the recommendation because I'm, I'm you are really very welcome. When I'm on these long, when I'm on these like CNN trips, like literally between these shows, I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I gotta, I gotta find things to do that uh, don't in- involve me walking 25 miles around the island of Manhattan. So <laughs> terminal list it is uh, uh, for me on this trip. All right, I guess we're going to wrap it up for Flower Country this week. Joe Arnold will be back with us next week. I'm going to hear about his adventures uh, to drop his son off at college. For Jared Crawford, Kevin Grouch, Sean Southern, I'm Scott Jennings. Thank you for listening to the Flyover Country Podcast. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Thanks, Louisville, Scott. Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.